had a great Thanksgiving. I hope uh, that everyone did. We had some of our friends come in from uh, Georgia and uh, had family here. My, uh, my mother's been here now for a couple weeks. My brother and his family came over from Ohio. So I, I spent uh, some time last week giving directions, you know, suggesting routes uh, to get to, uh, to our house. Um, because, as my brother uh, said, Flora is not on the way to anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's one of those places where you, you can't get there from here, uh, or can't get here from there, I guess. He, he got especially frustrated. His GPS um, unit he was using uh, wouldn't recognize a place called Flora, uh, Indiana, and uh, wouldn't k- tell him where he needed to go. And um, he, he, he coined a phrase, which I thought was pretty good. He said, it shouldn't be called a navigator. It should be called a nagavator. <laughs> For the last few weeks, we've been, we've been talking about how life is a journey. Life is it, it, a journey. It's like traveling down a road. And that being the case, we had better figure out where the road we're on is going to take us. We'd better, better figure out if, if we're on the right road. If the road that we're following and the the journey that we're taking, if it's going to help us wind up in the right destination. You know, the truth is, and no matter where we go, there's something that's more important than where we're going to us. It doesn't matter what it is, where we're traveling, whether we're going to the mall or going to the beach, whether we're going to work or going to to school or, 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 or going out to eat. It doesn't matter where we're going. It doesn't even matter how we intend to get there if we don't arrive safely. Isn't that right? I mean, it doesn't matter where you're going. If you don't get there safely, it doesn't matter. And now, if we assume that God is real, and around here, folks, we do, and we assume that that there is a heaven, and again, around here we do make that assumption, then wouldn't anybody in their right mind want to make sure that the road of life they're on is taking them to that place? That we wind up in the ultimate destination that we're really looking for, the destination of spending eternity with God in heaven. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks in this message series we've called Getting There. And we've learned some things along the way. We've learned, first of all, we learned that there's a roadblock called sin. There's a roadblock in all of our lives called sin. And Romans chapter 3, verse 23, describes that roadblock this way. It says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everyone. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. We've all fallen short of God's standard, which is perfection. And what's more? We can never attain that standard, not on our own. That roadblock has got to be removed. It's got to be navigated. Or we can never have the relationship with God, the fellowship with God that we want to have. And if that roadblock's not navigated, we can't get to heaven. Again, you know, we said it doesn't stop us from trying to get around it on our own because we also learned that there are detours. There are detours that people try to take to to get around that roadblock. And all of those detours, we said, are man-made. Every single one of them. Whether it's religion or good works or going to church, doing our best, you know, trying harder. No matter what detour we try to take, if we're on a man-made detour, 
It's a dead-end road, and it only leads to one place. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, I'm real glad there's a comma there, not a period, because there's more to it. But we got to get our heads around that first. The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. That's what we've got coming to us because we've tried to make our own way. But lucky for us, fortunate for us, that verse goes on, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then last week we learned that there's an exit that takes us around that roadblock, that navigates that roadblock for us. And God provided that exit by way of the cross. We learned that that God showed us how much He loves us by sending Jesus Christ to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to accomplish for us that which we could not accomplish. And the cross provides the only way around around that roadblock. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we read this, that God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I found this interesting. I've been pastor here for a little over six years. So I've conservatively, I've preached 300 messages. I mean, since September, I've I've preached the same message twice every Sunday. Sometimes twice is more than I even want to hear the message that I'm preaching. You know what I mean? Um, And nothing I've ever preached has, has aroused as many questions in some people as last week's message, that God loves us, he, he, that He doesn't just love us, He loves everybody, that He loves the world, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that the sins of men are no longer being held against them. It's what the Bible says. And that just prompted all kinds of questions in some people. And you know what? That's fine. If you ever have a question about anything that I've, that I've said or taught, ask me. You know, send me an email, give me a call, come see me. It's okay. But the questions were things like, are you saying that God loves everybody? Yeah. Well, does that mean everybody is going to be saved? Well, you'll have to hang on to find out the answer to that question, won't you? You got your Bible with you this morning? Go ahead and turn over to the New Testament book of Romans. Right after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts comes the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10 this morning. As, as we lay one more brick in this Romans road that paves the way for us to make it safely to heaven and permanently into a relationship with God. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read verse 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, the, the verse will be up on the screen. Romans 10:9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to read that one again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our destination is described in that verse using that one word, saved. Now, I realize that when we use that word today, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it used to mean. A lot of that, the blame for a lot of that falls on technology. Technology has just changed how we use some words. I mean, you walk up to a person on the street and and say, I want to talk to you about windows. 
they think you're talking about a computer program, right? An operating system. They don't think about the panes of glass that you look through. Help, that's another example. I mean, it used to be a, a request for assistance when someone was in trouble. Now it's we think about an option on a computer toolbar. Of course, for me, it is still a request for assistance when I get into trouble using a computer. And saved is another example of that. I mean, today, saved is the way that we make sure that data in a computer file is preserved. That's what we call it when we've, when we've uh, executed that function, you know, when, when we've, um, uh, that's the condition of the file after we've performed that command. Let me tell you, it's very important to perform that command. I, I, more times than I care to admit over the last few years, I have worked for hours on a sermon and then come to a stopping point and go to close out, you know, and hit that X. And that box always pops up, you know, do you want to save this? And, and for some reason, there have been times when I clicked no. And, and there's that split second. I don't even know exactly how long a length of time is, but it, it just kind of washes over you what you've done. Oh, no, and it's gone, baby, gone. And you can't get it back. And you know what? I grieve over those sermons because I know that those were the best messages I have ever written. Never again. Billy Graham would want the transcript. And you can't get it back. No matter how hard you work and how long you work and, and, and how carefully you work, you can't get it back. They're just lost. And the world is a... It's a more pitiful place because of that. There's a nifty little feature called autosave. I've learned to use that one. Just periodically saves it for you and you, you don't get in as big a jam with that, I found. But save doesn't mean what it used to. So this morning I want to call us back to what it means, what it used to mean. I, 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 want, to, I want to share some wonderful good news about our destination. You know, there are some destinations that just aren't available to everyone. I mean, we like to think that we're totally free, right? And we can go wherever we want to go and do whatever we want to do. But that's really not true. There's some destinations that we can't get to because we're not a member of the club, not a member of the organization. There are some destinations we can't get to because we can't afford to get there. I mean, Hawaii is there. But I'm not going to get to that destination, not anytime soon. There are some destinations we can't get to, but, I, but the destination that we need to get to, that we want to get to, that God desires us to get to, is accessible and available to every single one of us, every single person on the face of the earth. So why doesn't everyone get saved? Well, I think in a few minutes we're going to see that one of the reasons that not everybody gets saved is because it's so simple. You know, in most non-Christian religions, in most of the world's religions, you, don't, you have to go through a complicated, convoluted, sometimes years or maybe even a lifetime long process to get to the point where maybe, perhaps, you'll be saved. The Christian faith, faith in Jesus, saving faith, being saved is so simple that people overlook it. They discount it. 
I want to give you three words this morning I want you to keep in mind as we talk about our destination. I want you to keep in mind the word lordship, the word resurrection, and the word salvation. Because those three words are the components. They're they're the foundation we need to make sure that we're on the right road. That that we are on the road to that final destination called heaven and, and to a permanent relationship with God. And here's where it all begins. Here's the first thing I want us to see. It all begins for us when we confess the lordship of Jesus. Listen to the first part of of Romans 10 verse 9 again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. There's a couple of key words there. There's a verb and a noun that are very important. And that verb is confess and the noun is Lord. And the word confess, and, and, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, you know, sometimes we use that in somewhat of a negative context um, where we talk about confessing our sins. In other words, uh, we have to kind of tell all the things that we've done wrong. And, and there are some faith traditions where they go to a special place and speak to a special person and tell them about their sins. But that's not what is being talked about here at all. The word confession literally means to say the same thing. To say the same thing, to agree with. But it's not just saying words. It's not just saying, yeah, I agree. It means that we have accepted something as being true and we're willing to live by it. We're willing to incorporate that truth into our lives. See, there's a big difference between saying something and meaning it. Isn't that true? To truly confess something in biblical terms means that not only are we willing to to say it, but we're willing to live it, and if necessary, we're willing to die for it. There's a verse of Scripture that always troubled me, troubled me for years. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. And that verse, the last part of that verse says this, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that, that, that puzzled me, and, and here's why. Just repeat this after me. Jesus is Lord. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. How'd you need the help of the Holy Spirit to say that? Three simple little words. I would read that verse and think, Jesus is Lord. How hard is that? How do we need the help of the Holy Spirit to say that? Well, we don't need the help of the Holy Spirit to to say the words, to to, to vocalize the sound, Jesus is Lord. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit if we're going to live like it's true, if we're going to live like we mean it. That's what we need the help of the Holy Spirit for. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, we're not talking about the man upstairs. We're not talking about our heavenly buddy. We're not talking about, you know, that t-shirt I saw a few years ago. Jesus is my homeboy. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he's in charge. He's in control. He's the boss. We don't use that word much in our culture, do we? In some European cultures where they still have royal Royalty, royal family, they use the word Lord. You know, they have a specific title for, for people that are at a certain level in, in that whole scheme. 
But we don't use it very much. But what we would say in our culture, again, is boss, you know, CEO, chairman of the board, head honcho. It means that he's in control. He's in charge. And here's something that we ought to recognize. Jesus is called Savior 10 times in the New Testament, but he's called Lord 700 times. And every time those two words are used together, Lord always comes first. He's Lord and Savior. So let those words sink in. There aren't three greater words anywhere in the Bible. Jesus is Lord. Hey, that was where the very first Christians drew the line between themselves and everything else and everybody else in their culture. You see, in that day, when, when basically the world was under the domination of the Roman Empire, there was this regular routine, regular ritual uh, in, in which uh, you, know, you, you paid your tax to Rome, you paid your tribute to Caesar, and you had to say these words, Caesar is Lord. But Christians wouldn't say that. Christians wouldn't, wouldn't say that. There was only one name they would put at the beginning of that sentence, and it was Jesus. Because it wasn't just words to them. They didn't just say it. They lived it. And many of them died for it. Let me see if I can explain why. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And there was a version of the Old Testament translated into Greek, which was kind of the universal language of the day. Makes sense, right? They dominated the whole world. They controlled almost the whole known world. That was the language that almost everyone spoke, even you know, as a second language. So the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and it was known as the Septuagint. You probably don't need to know that unless you're going to be on Jeopardy or something one of these days. But here's the, here's the meat of this. In the Septuagint, in that Greek translation of... of, of of the Hebrew Old Testament, every time they came to the name for God, today we would say Yahweh or Jehovah, every time they came to that name for God, they used the Greek word for Lord. That's why even in our English Bible today, over 6,000 times in the Old Testament, when you read about God, you read the word Lord. Now, now follow this. To say Jesus is Lord to the Jewish mindset was to say Jesus is God. It was the same thing. To say Jesus is Lord meant Jesus is God because they are one and the same. And there were a lot of Jews, especially the religious leaders, who thought that was blasphemy. Who thought here is a man who's making himself God, who's allowing others to make himself God. And the truth is that Jesus' claim to be God was what got him crucified. It's what got him killed. That gives us a new perspective on confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's why those early Christians wouldn't do it. You know, I'm sure there was pressure on them to, to accommodate themselves to the culture. I mean, I'm sure there was, just as in our day, there was that line of thinking that said, hey, you know what? If you're dead or in prison, you won't be able to do any evangelism. You won't be able to expand the church. You won't be able to, to serve other people in Jesus' name. So why not just say it? It's just words. Caesar is Lord. Just say it. As soon as you say it, you can repent of it and go back to serving Jesus. 
They wouldn't do it because there was one God and one Lord and they said, Jesus is Lord. It gives it an entirely different meaning. That's why we can't just confess Christ with our lips. We have to do it with our lives. The word Lord is not just a word. It's not just a name. It's who Jesus is. And listen, if Jesus is God, then he deserves our absolute, complete obedience. When we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we sell it out. We give him complete control. Because confessing Jesus as Lord is not done with just words, but with actions. When we take time out of our week to fellowship with with God's people and to worship the Lord, we're saying, Jesus, you're Lord over my calendar, over my planner and my schedule. When we take a, a portion of the income that we make and we bring it and offer it to the Lord, we're confessing, Jesus, you're Lord over my pocketbook, over my wallet, my checkbook, my bank account. when we keep ourselves pure in our thought life, in, in where we go on the internet, and in how, we, how we carry ourselves and handle ourselves physically, we're confessing that Jesus is Lord over how we think and over how we feel and over how we behave. Think about a wedding. How weird would a wedding be, a ceremony be, where two people get married and, and when it's over they shake hands and go back to their, their own separate lives? You know, he goes to his house, she goes to hers, they just carry on living their single life. How strange would that be? Because that's not how it works, right? When two people get married, everything changes. We belong completely to the person we marry. We give ourselves completely to the person that we marry. From the moment we get married, we belong completely to them and they belong completely to us. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, He belongs completely to us. And we belong completely to Him. Everything about our lives belongs to Him. We confess the Lordship of Jesus. And then we affirm the resurrection of Jesus. The second part of Romans 10, 9 says this, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Again, two key words there, both a noun and a verb. The noun is heart and the verb is raised. We we are to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Hey, people believe all kinds of things about Jesus. And you 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 don't have to be on the internet 15 minutes to find out there's a billion different opinions about Jesus. And some people, most of them not Christians, think that he was just a good teacher, that he was a wise philosopher, you know, that he was a, a, a peace and a unity advocate, that he had some good things to say and we really ought to pay attention to him and that's about as far as they go. But those of us who are saved, the, the believers, uh, we go a little further. I mean, we believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that his father is God that he was born of a virgin, all that stuff that we talk about next month, right? During the month of December, at Christmas time. We believe he lived a sinless life. We believe that, that, that he healed people with a touch or with a word. 
We believe that he raised people from the dead. But the truth is, it doesn't matter what else we believe about Jesus if we don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Whatever else we believe about him, we've got to believe that. Now, why is that so important? It's important because the resurrection is proof. That's what it is. It's proof of some things. Because if a man has really been raised from the dead, it proves that there is a God because only God could do something like that. If Jesus was really raised from the dead, it proves that he was truthful. It verifies his claims. He said, you're going to tear this building down. You're going to take my life, in other words, but God's going to raise me up in three days. That's exactly the way it happened. But what it primarily proves for you and for me is that Jesus is the Savior of the world and we can be forgiven of our sins. Think about this. Many times Jesus said he was going to die for the sins of others. And we know that he died. Historically, we know that he was crucified. We know that he died. But that still leaves us with some questions. Yes, I know Jesus died, but did he really die for me? Did God accept his death as the payment for my sins? And I want you to know that the resurrection is God's resounding answer. Yes. Yes. The resurrection is God affirming that the payment Jesus made on the cross was fully accepted. You know, whatever else is true about Jesus, if he's still dead, then he's no Savior. Right? If he's still dead, he's no Savior. Don't ever put your hope in dead people. If they were that great, they wouldn't be dead. If Jesus is still in the grave, He's not a Savior. We're still in our sins. But on the cross, Jesus wrote the check for the payment of our sins. And at the resurrection, at the empty tomb, God cashed that check and gave us a receipt that says paid in full. Now, most of us in the room say, yeah, I believe that. And in fact, why are you mixing the holidays up, right? We're just getting to Christmas. You're already bumping us ahead to Easter. That's what Walmart does. Don't do that. I mean, I fully expect to go into Walmart next week and see jelly beans and Easter baskets, don't you? <laughs> but in light of Romans 10, 9, let me ask you this. Where do you believe it? Is it here or here? Is it in your head or your heart? Real belief doesn't take place in the head. It takes place in the heart. In fact, when these words were written in, in, in the world of that time, they thought the heart was the core of a person's being, was the, was the center, the seat of personality. That the heart was, was where... Whatever a person was, that's where it lived. That's where it dwelled. You know, we kind of, in, in, the, in the church, we kind of have that belief too, don't we? That idea. I mean, we, we'll tell somebody, well, I know what I said or I know what I did, but you know what? You just need to know my heart. Right? We can believe in our heads anything we want to believe about Jesus. But until we believe with our heart, it doesn't change anything. Our lives are not changed. 
So how do we know? How do we know that we truly believe with our heart? It goes back to what we were just talking about, about confessing Jesus as Lord. Because if we really believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, then it will show up in the way that we live. It will show up in a life surrendered to Christ as Lord. It will change how we think and feel and behave. The Lordship of Jesus and His resurrection from the dead go together. They cannot be separated. He rose from the dead. He is Lord. And you know what? It's easy to say Jesus is Lord. It's easy to say those words. It's easy to slap them on a Christian t-shirt or a bumper sticker or a coffee mug. But we need to be at the place where if we never say the words, people can look at our lives and tell that Jesus is Lord because of how we live. And then this third concept, this third foundation thing, we claim the salvation of Jesus. We confess the lordship of Jesus, we affirm the resurrection of Jesus, and we claim the salvation of Jesus. When we receive the lordship of Christ, when we believe in his resurrection, here's what God's word says, four simple words, you will be saved. You will be saved. In other words, you're going to make it. You will get there. You know, this is the only destination that anybody can guarantee that we will arrive at safely. I mean, I live eight-tenths of a mile from here. Some of you live closer than that. But nobody can guarantee us that we'll make it home safely. Have you seen how people drive up and down through here? We got a neighbor down through here, and I will not call their name, but they drive like a maniac. That's the nicest thing I could say. It's crazy. I've even kidded them about it when I've seen them out somewhere. Doesn't slow them down a lick. So you could, you could be pulling out of the parking lot, and it's all over like that, right? But there's one destination that God himself says we can reach. You will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not there's, there's hope that you'll be saved if you kind of hang in there to the, to the end. Jesus just, God said it like this. You confess Jesus as Lord. You believe in his heart that I raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. You see how simple that is? I mean, I've thought about this a lot. If all this is true, if everything that we've talked about over these these last few weeks is true, if the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, if it's true that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, If it's true that Jesus died on the cross for all the sin of all the world, for all time, 
If it's true, as Paul says, that the sins of men are no longer being held against them, then why are so many people not saved? Well, I don't know that this is the only reason, but I know it's a big reason people aren't saved. They just don't think they need to be. They think if they're going to make it, they're going to make it on their own. And if they recognize that roadblock called sin, they think, I can handle that. I mean, it's the balancing act, right? I got these bad things that I did, but I got to make sure I do some good things to kind of balance it all out. I got to find, I'll make my own way. I'll take my own detour around that roadblock. You know what? I don't want to take the exit that's shaped like the cross. I'll take one of these other exits. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 reminds us that that even though Jesus has done everything necessary for us to get to our final destination, we've got to take the exit. We have to accept that the way out and the way up has been provided for us. We don't arrive at our desired destination by accident. If we don't willingly receive and, and willingly believe, then we won't make it to our final destination. Recently, I read about a, an atheist farmer in Finland. Do you know about 70% of Finland claim to be atheists? But this particular farmer went a step further than most of them when he died. It stated in his will that he wished to leave his farm to the devil through the courts into a big old loop. I mean, they, they, there was uh, confusion and, and arguments throughout the courts and the legal system about how do, you, how do you carry out this request? How do you honor this man's legal request? And after weeks of deliberation, the court decided that the only way to carry out the farmer's wishes was, was to allow the weeds to take over the farmland, to let the, the house and the barn just rot, to let the soil wash away. The court declared in its ruling the best way to let the devil have possession of anything is to do nothing. All we have to do to miss God's desired destination for us is nothing. Take no action. We're closing out this series of messages. We're going to move on to something else. It's that time of year where we talk about Christmas. Hallelujah. But I want to say this before we close. I want to say this to, to people who may be unbelievers. You've never placed your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've got the same roadblock in your life that we all do. You've you got that roadblock called sin. We were all born with that roadblock in our lives. And that roadblock is too high for you to get over. It's too wide for you to get around. It's too thick for you to make your way through it. Any detour you take is only going to end up in death. But there's an exit. And it's called the cross. And that's the only way that you will be safely delivered to a destination. That is a relationship with God and heaven when you leave this earth. you got to know that. And then 
a final word to those of us who've already taken that exit. We're on that road. We're headed to our destination. Let me ask you this. Why do you travel alone? Why would you travel that road alone? We need to be sharing this. We need to be sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ with every person that we know, with every coworker, every friend, every family member, every classmate. I mean, you gave me those names, right? We've got a prayer list. It's 150 plus names long. We're praying for them every day until the end of the year. Some of them, I don't know all their situations, but some of them, we want to see them get saved. Some of them have just been away from church for years. Some of them, 20 or 30 years, we want to see them back in a, in a, in a life-giving church where they, can, where they can grow. Some of them are just going through horrible circumstances, but I want you to know, every single one of them needs to hear the good news that we've talked about over these last few weeks. Now, don't let the fact that, you know, I've spent a couple hours talking about this over the course of four weeks, don't let that throw you for a loop. This is an amazingly simple process. It's four verses. It's four steps to share with somebody. Here's how you can know that you're on the right road. I, I can't even tell you. Here, read this. And you can get on the road that leads to life. Folks, if we're going to change a culture, we will not do it through legislation. We will not do it through education. We will not do it through self-improvement. We don't change people through political action or demonstration. We don't change people by holding rallies. If we want to change a culture, we have to change the people in that culture. And I know this is going to offend somebody. But I don't particularly care in taking America back for Christ. I care about taking Christ to every American and to every person beyond in the rest of the world. We change our culture, we change our world by changing people. And the only hope for real change for life change. The only hope for heart change is knowing what road we have to be on to be saved. Of knowing this Roman road to salvation and knowing these verses and applying them in our lives so that we can have fellowship with God and a relationship with God that will carry us through to our destination. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.